it's time to start unpacking with another episode of the B Word Unpacked, hosted by the phenomenal women of Goodstock Consulting, Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Be Water Impact with Goodstock Consulting. Kelly here, and as a longtime lover of books, I am super excited to dive into this episode, Books and Bibliophiles. How deep is me and Kim's and Ebony's love for books, you might be wondering? Well, we are all in a book club. Two of us have gotten locked into libraries when we were kids, and I'm telling you, we just love books, the stories they tell, the places they take us, and the knowledge they impart. This love runs deep, y'all. Y'all, so I remember my love for books probably started when I was in sixth grade. That's when I found my first really inappropriate novel by Terry McMillan. And I thought, what is this? Does anyone know that I have it? And I will sit, sleep under the bed just to read it. Um, it was disappearing at. And you know good and well, a sixth grader should not be reading Disappearing Acts. But mm-hmm, I read it cover to cover. And I was convinced if books were like this, then I can do this for the rest of my life. And so that really started my journey. So from Terry McMillan to Sister Soldier, even. Um, but my, my affinity for books kind of graduated to historical fiction because it gives context to a past, but it used historical landmarks that I can identify with, you know? So one of my favorite historical fiction novels is Someone Knows My Name by Lawrence Hill. Um, BET recently made a docu-series out of it, um, but they changed the name to something else. But the book was so good, that's definitely one you should try. And I seriously try to still read at least one book a month. Thank you, Audible. Right. Shout out. Right. And, and that's the thing. Like, I used to absolutely love to read. So my lo- love for books came in elementary school. So we had this program called Accelerated Reader where if you read a book and then you took a test, they would give you these little pins in a hat. And y'all, when I tell you my hat was like tilted to the side, <laughs> because it was, it was one of those things I was obsessed with reading. But my books were always really heavy and deep now that I think about it. Like The Slave Dancer. Let the Circle Be Unbroken. Um, all these books that really had me militant um, about being Black from the, remember third grade, Lucius, that ain't LS. <laughs> anyway, that's his name. So, uh, but no, but, but really I started to read these books and it made me fall in love with the story of what it was to, um, to be Black, um, how we got here. I was really fascinated by that. And in growing up now, I still get intrigued about more so nonfiction um, books that just really describe what what is it that has shaped us. So I'm reading now The Color of Law for the second time because um, I feel like there's so much information in that book that we need to know how these policies that were created literally decades and decades and decades ago, how they're influencing what our life is like now. So. Uh, we know that life is definitely full it's circle. Right. Life is interesting. So ladies, it's time for our lightning round. Lightning round. So the question is, what two books have you read in 2020 that have made the biggest impression on you? And I'm going to kick us off. And I'll say that I typically am a reader of fiction. I love fiction. I love being transported to kind of different environments and different places. But in this era of Rona, I've been watching way too much trash TV, Indian matchmaker, um, 
Married at First Sight, just some pretty trashy TV. So my books have veered a little on the heavier side and they veered more towards fiction. So right now I'm reading Systems Thinking for Social Change and that one's by um, David Peter Stroh. And I'm also reading Just Change by, it's by a sister, Tanisha Boya. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Robinson. And she does a really good job of talking about how organizations or businesses can collaborate for systemic change. So real light reading over here. What about you, Kim? Yeah, sounds pretty light, friend, but I think we're on the same wavelength because my, I actually have three that I read so far this year that really kind of changed the way I think or see the world. So the first is Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. So I know there's a movie, but if there's a book and a movie, I would much rather read the book. Um, so I read the book, still haven't seen the movie. Uh, the second was The Undocumented Americans by, and I'm going to totally mess her name up, but it's Carla Cornejo Via Vicencio. Okay. You messed but that up. I you tried that. that. You tried. You tried. I'm going to give it to you. Vicencio? Yeah, no, it's Via Vicencio. That's not how you say her name. Yes, Carla Cornejo. Carla but that's a book about um uh, mexican hispanic latino immigrants coming into america but it's not she made a very good point of saying it's not about dreamers because a lot of these people have no dreams. Uh, and so it was a very gut-wrenching, real novel. And she talks about her own struggles and family dynamics. And then the third is probably one of the most common. But it's Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And I noticed my tone kind of like, uh, did I hate reading a book just because it's the fad of the moment. And so I was hesitant about reading it. But after reading it, I thought, Oh, okay, now I get the hype. It really was a pretty good book to help you explore how you see others in the world and why we get so uncomfortable when we meet strangers, especially those who don't look or think like us. But those are three good ones. Well, I'm proud of y'all. I, I, besides Color of Law that I'm tipping my toe in once and more again, I have not read anything because it's just been, 2020 has been engrossed in reading medical literature for COVID-19 <laughs> and keeping up with like literally, it usually takes you about six months, if not a better part of a year, to get your your research published. And now, literally, works are being published every week that people have put out for the last two weeks. So um, that's what my life has been. Reading. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm not mad at you for reading um, COVID-19 medical literature because that's what's keeping people healthy. So, uh, you know, listeners, it is my pleasure. You've seen their face on camera. You're wondering, who are these two ladies? And it is my pleasure to introduce Savannah J. Frierson. Did I say that correctly? Savannah. Thank you. And Dewana Brockington to the B Word Unpacked. I'm going to have them introduce themselves in just a second, but I do want to brag on these fabulous ladies for a second. Welcome, Welcome to, to the B Side. So, Savannah is a USA Today best-selling and award-winning author who pens romance and mainstream fiction that are Hello. full of happily ever afters for readers who believe in 
transcendent love and that it is worth the wait. Well, hot damn is all I got to say to that. Um, Savannah completed her first original work, reconstructing Jada Channing as her senior thesis at Harvard, where she earned the 20, 2005 Dorothy Hicks Lee Prize for Outstanding Thesis containing an African-American character. So Savannah, props to you. Dewana Brockington is from the low country of South Carolina. She is also my wife. Um, she is fascinated with witches and psychic abilities. She has released four, y'all, four urban fantasies re reads. I've read them. I've enjoyed each and every one of them. And she also recently released a series of what she is calling short and sexy reads. So we, we're definitely going to get to them short and sexy reads. And I got to tell you, if you still got an engine running, y'all, these books are going to rev it for you. That's I'm just going to, I'm going to let them want to go further into it. But without further ado, ladies, I'm going to kick it over to y'all. Again, thank you for taking the time out today. And I want you each to tell us and tell our viewers and our listeners who you are, what you're currently reading and why do you write? And I'm gonna kick it, I'm gonna kick it to my wife first. I'm gonna kick it over to you, Dewana. What you got for me? So I'm Dewana Brockington. You will find me as DM Brockington on the internet. Um, currently reading Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky by Kwame Mbalia. Um, why are you reading that, Dewana? Because he <laughs> will be our keynote speaker for the Black Ink Festival in, here in Charleston wow. in January. And Savannah and I both sit on that planning committee. And when I tell you this book is um, amazing about a teenage Black male who finds mm -hmm. what his superpower truly is. And that kind of leads into what I write, who I am, mm -hmm. and, and why I write. Um, was a single mom. I'm from the low country, Goose Creek High School, go Gators, <laughs> University of South Carolina, go Cox. <laughs> so I'm mired in the low country. Um, my family's Gullah Geechee, even though I was not allowed to speak <laughs> with a Gullah Geechee mm -hmm. accent, but I always deep down had this connection to this place, um, the, the energy, what our ancestors left here. My mother was born and raised here. So this is Charleston is me. And I wanted stories that reflect who I am and where I come from. Um, and also that I'm very magical. And so mm -hmm. I have to write that. Apparently. You better claim that. How does, you better how claim that. Revving, how your grandmama feel about this engine revving uh, stories that Kelly is well, talking about? Like that it. sounds fresh. She probably likes it. That sounds like something. <laughs> <laughs> we will discuss. So I write, and, and we'll, I can talk about this a little later, but I write um, urban fantasy, paranormal. I've, I've written some women's contemporary fiction because I'm 53, y'all. And after so on that. Listen. Yes, ma'am. And that's why you keep it. Listen. Don't crack. That's what you call it. Don't crack. Yep. It don't crack, y'all. If y'all listening to us, it's not cracking. Don't crack. People like to say women become invisible and black women even more so after midlife. And I'm here to crush all of that. That's not that's not what I'm going to leave. So, and then finally, just kind of moving into um, just some magical realism because I cannot write and have life without magic. And so 
really just those twinges of things that deja vu, that little, that person that everybody goes to because you know they're going to lift your spirits. So I'm now starting to bring a little more magical real, realism into my regular writing. So would that put good. you into the realm, Duana, of like a sci-fi? Does that take it? No, or is it like no, bones and? You could, it might. It might skirt speculative fiction. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to give it like a overall label, it would be speculative fiction. Okay, I love it. Love yep, it. you better educate the people about speculative fiction. You better get. You better get the people. Savannah. Savannah, I'm going to kick it over to you. So, so tell the people who you are, what are you currently reading, and most importantly, why do you write? Okay, I am Savannah. I am from Blythewood, South Carolina. I um, went to Ridgeview High School, and then I went to some little school up in Boston. Um, <laughs> uh, and made it out with a degree, so holla back. <laughs> uh, moved back um, to South Carolina in 2009, moved to Charleston that, that same year because um, I came down for governor's school, the summer program, and really loved the city and wanted some history and ended up working at the Avery Research Center, which has been just one of the transformative places that I've ever worked at. And it was great because I studied African-American history and culture and English. And so it was a perfect marriage of what I studied in college and, you know, living that mission and that purpose. Um, And why I write? Well, I started because of grief. Um, I lost my, my mother, but um, I realized that there was a lot that I had to say and that there was a lot that we had to say as a collective and, you know, writing and reading are ways to understand the human experience. And I was really trying to un- unpack what that meant for me and what that meant as, you know, the first generation African-American in my family who was not raised in segregation. Like, what did that mean for me? And then having an interracial group of friends and hearing all sorts of things and like, well, I don't know if that's true or not. And so, you know, my thesis was about interracial relationships um, because that's part of what I studied in college, which is not necessarily romantic, but why do we believe the things that we do? Because I think Mm -hmm. we accept things without critique and without, you know, thinking about, well, does this make sense in real life? Like we're just parroting things that we have inherited, but we're not really analyzing, does that serve us? Should we continue to believe those things and seeing how the world is acting right now you know it it would be nice if we could just stop and think about why do we treat each other the way that we do why do we speak to each other the way that we do why do we not value another person's humanity humanity the way that we should but I do it in the context of romance because people always say well you can't help who you love and love is love and all of these great platitudes but then all these rules apply all those terms and conditions at the bottom that we don't really talk about until we have to bump up against it. So that's what I write and why I write. That's why you write. What I've been reading right now is my own manuscript because I have a book coming out on the first. So I haven't really been reading anything else. I'm not mad at you, Savannah. Oh, it's actually one of the first books I wrote that was set in, Charleston and I hadn't been to Charleston yet. I hadn't moved back yet. So my wow. sister was doing her thesis work. I'm like, 
Where is Ashley River Road? Where is that? Where does that go to? <laughs> so that was, but it's about a young, um, it's an interracial romance, and it's about um, a Navy SEAL who comes to South Carolina, to Charleston, South Carolina, for a summer class, and he meets a woman that he realizes might be his forever, and she is a woman who is dealing with a past trauma, and mm-hmm. um, meeting him makes her realize that she doesn't have to carry that trauma with her anymore, and to unpack mm-hmm. that and let that loose, and and all the dynamics of what that means. And um, I really like it. And I'm going to pop up my book a little bit because I like writing her family. It was mm-hmm. such a great experience. Her family, they're from Orangeburg. Um, shout out to my godmother who's from Orangeburg. So that's mm-hmm. pro- that's part of why I wanted to add that city there. Um, but they're, they're so delightful and, and friendships. And that's, you know, I, I really appreciate and love when I read about friendships, especially between black people and 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 just the way that we love on each other the way that we can love on each other i really hope that i you know gave honor to that in this book so yeah yeah and, and you said oh, you i'm did ready that. to read it at yeah, this point. yeah yeah because you said that was you you started that um unfortunately when your mom passed was she well alive? not this not these stories i started i started with writing, writing. and right. then i graduated to prose and then I've discovered romance. Sandra Kitt was my first romance that really um, stuck with me, The Color of Love. And then I then I started reading Indian romance. Mm. There's wow. a whole, another rant, but, the, the, but you know, I was just looking for people of color and I didn't know that there was an African-American romance section in the library because it was all the way in the back and I wasn't supposed to go there because I was a kid. So I could only mm-hmm. focus on what was out front that the mm-hmm. librarians kind of turned the other way and let me just grab a book. But um, once I discovered black romance, I mean, outside of Sandra Kipp, I mean, I don't even remember how I got to her to me. I think she was in the, that open access bookshelf, but um, she was like the only one out there. I don't know. Anyway, but then I found Beverly Jenkins and that was, that was it. So I just went down a rabbit hole, all sorts of black romance and black romance, black women authors and being mentored by them and everything. So, you know, that, you know, love and black women and loving and being loved. That's, that's what I like to read about because unfortunately it feels often that we are out here loving people. We're not being loved back. So at least in a romance, I get to have that. Oh. You know what? That I think we all like, you know, in loving our books, we talked about how discovering the book really just opened up a whole new world. But we know that especially now during the time of COVID, right? A lot of our black and brown kids, they don't have that kind of access to books, especially right. when we talk about like the hard copy of a book. I think there's something magical when you can touch a book versus just listening to a book, right? But so how do we how do we combat that? How do we get kids more access to books? And how do we give us some practical and concrete ways to make that happen? Because I think really that's what our children need because of all the things we're talking about. It gives you a sense of wonder and empowerment and encouragement. So how can we tangibly do that? So for me, I mean when a parent leaves and it's beyond their economic uh, status, when they leave the hospital with a baby, they have a package usually, you know, formula, diapers, that little thing to get them going through that first week or so until they start to figure things out. Why don't we include books in that? Especially in um, 
you know, hospitals that serve underserved or low income families. Mm-hmm. Dolly Parton does this. I, and yep. she's the one I have given money to over the years because mm-hmm. she makes sure that kids get books like the first three to five years of yeah. their life. Yeah. I pay $30 every couple of years so some kid can randomly have access to books. My mother. What's the program called, Awana? Is it Read Across America? Well, I'm not, I just call it. That was Dolly Parton's. I don't know if it's Imagination Library or something else. That's Dolly? That's Dolly's. My kids, both of my kids were in it, and I still can't remember the name. And actually, type in, um, but it is it is Imagination Library. But if you you type it in, because it's for certain zip codes, but I've known people who um, have used their grandparents' (laughs) zip codes, but you literally get a, a book assigned to your child every month until they're mm-hmm. five years old. So as yeah. soon as you get pregnant, go ahead and log your kid's name into this system so they can build their library up that way. But it's in their cute books. Mm-hmm. And when you're, you know, when you're going to a baby shower, include, I always give a book. Yeah. yeah. Because, and, and even with my nieces and nephews, when they were coming up, Auntie giving a book, like yeah. they know, <laughs> there's like, oh, what's she bringing today? You know, what's a book. So, but I did that with my own kid. I mean, she had a library before she ever got yeah. here, and and I think that's critical. We have to make sure that we believe we feed them books from before they're even here in utero. Read the Cat in the Hat. They're going to recognize those words. They're going to they're going to pick that up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will say this quickly, because we read so much to Tyler before she got here, when she got here, like my kid was talking at nine months. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's a good thing and not a good thing. I I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to start thinking also about children, not like we been ingrained with these stages Mm -hmm. that they learn in these stages but the truth is they learn the minute those cells start multiplying and so we think like that we we'd be really surprised at what we what our children become and faster Mm -hmm. and books are part of that yeah i mean it, it really is a huge part of that what we know is that if you look at studies looking at um, babies who come from a family of poverty versus babies who come from a, a family of wealth, that those children here on scales of 1.4 to, I've seen studies even say 30 million words difference by the age of three to five years old. Mm-hmm. And what does that do? You know, um, in medicine, we think about how that stimulation actually shapes your brain, how it causes different portions of your highlighted and accentuated. And we know that language is extremely important. When we're looking at kids, for instance, as in in um, orphanages, there was a study looking at um, an, a Russian orphanage where they didn't stimulate the child, they didn't talk to the child, they didn't touch the child, and literally those children ended up being severely mentally um, retarded because of the lack of that. And so I think it's incredibly important that we do emphasize the use of language and the, and the use of books. So what for you two, um, you mentioned family a lot, who was it that sparked that interest for you? I am that auntie too that gives out books. Uh, I literally wrote a book for my little niece because I wanted her to have um, a book where she could be the lead character and so she could see her face because representation does matter. So who was that for you? Who started it? Honestly, my mother. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so backstory, my father's from North Carolina, but my parents met in DC. That's where I was born. And when they split, my mom brought all of us back to Charleston to her roots. Um, my father couldn't read. Mm-hmm. I did not know this until I was 21 years old. I was about to get married the first time myself when my mom shared this. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, yeah, all those nights when I was, she was reading to me, teaching me to read at three or four. I thought she was teaching me to read. She was teaching my father to read. Wow. That's deep. Wow. That's and deep. My dad had a, a head for figures which and numbers and measures, which made him a great head cook, head chef. They weren't calling him chefs back then because everything he learned, he learned on the road and on his own. Mm. But I thought this was all about me, <laughs> the books. Mm-hmm. And, the, mm-hmm. and, and I think that my mother sharing that with me. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? My mother's one of these... People, she's like, that's grown folks' business. <laughs> that wasn't your right. business. That's right. like your parents' yep. business. Like, and this was at a time I was about to get married for the first time. And we were talking about marriage and families and really having a, a I wanted a good understanding of why my parents split. And so at that particular conversation, she just decided, oh, well, let me go ahead and download some of this other stuff for you. And I was just like, <laughs> Wow. Mind blown. From that moment, though, I looked at, and my father, my family, I'm 53, so we had house parties Mm -hmm. Friday nights or the weekends that my dad had off. Everybody was at our house, Mm -hmm. and he would he would bet his friends that I, and I was like five and six years old, that I could read the newspaper, the front page. Well, at that time, I think the front page was written like 10th grade standard. Mm -hmm. And they would literally throw money on the table until they started to figure it out. (laughs) And I would read the front page of the, that they would pick whatever page, but I would read the newspaper that whoever handed. And then my dad would like give me five dollars. I'm in my like onesies. It's yeah. five or six. He'd mm-hmm. give me five dollars and a kiss and be like, go get yourself some food and then go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and sure he was so proud. Yeah. His source of pride that his daughter could read the front page of the newspaper that he was a grown man before he that's powerful, Dewana. That's so yeah. powerful. What about you, Savannah? Oh, well, to piggyback off that a little bit, the first, the initial question of what can people do to encourage reading is to encourage reading. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that it seems so basic, but just not discouraging kids who pick up a book to read it goes a very long way. Because mm-hmm. when you discourage kids from reading, they think, oh, that's not for me. So why do I need to bother with it? And then secondly, in school, how about assigning books that kids would want to read? Girl. <laughs> you know, right. the, let's start the there. Canister. Let's start there. Wuthering Heights, my Lord. Yes. My Lord. Uh, to like the number of books, I'm like, why am I reading this? What does this have yeah. to do? Not even on a black woman, all that, you know, just, but what does this have to do with me right now? Like, yeah. it's, they're Moby boring. Dick. They're boring. Mm-hmm. And so Moby let's do, 
are willing to go out and look for other books that are more engaging, nobody's going to be willing to read. I mean, let's introduce more graphic novels into the, you know, school reading. Let's introduce, you know, we're reading all the time video, those video games that you have to read the pair. That's reading. And that's something that, okay, then you say, well, if you like this, this is a book that you might like because you like this game. Or like mm-hmm. pair it up with things that they like and, and, and that that might not seem like relevant or that that match, you know, the typical reading. I mean, think of all the movies that we watch now that are based off of books. There, there are ways that we can make reading fun. And I, I sound like a Pizza Hut, you know, reading. <laughs> book it. The Book It Club. Like, you know, it's not that. Come on now. Thank you. Okay. But you know, it's like there is no reason why kids can't be as pumped up about reading as they are about movies, as they are about music. All of that. What is a song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what is yeah. what are movies? They have to read a script to give you the I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why mm-hmm. reading can be accessible. One and two, not to say that reading is not for you. If right, we get right. rid of that we'll go a long way. Mm-hmm. The third thing is that for me, like with Dewana, I was read to as a child. Mm-hmm. So the thing that my mother did, she, she would put us in bed and she would read us a story. And with her, she really made sure that we had stories that had something to do with Africa, something to do with African-Americans. So not only was I getting stories, I was getting stories mm-hmm. within the diaspora as best that she could find it. And to mm-hmm. do in the 80s and the early 90s, I, I don't know. I mean, that I, I think she, she put a lot of effort into that in a way that mm-hmm. I don't think I appreciated at the time. Yeah. You know, because like it's a story, so what do I care? Mm-hmm. But like right. going forth and looking for books myself. You know, I remember being at school. I went to an all-black um, elementary school, um, elementary and um, kindergarten, and that library was also stocked with books that featured black people. So that was something that I knew was out there. And so when I transitioned to a more mid school, I'm like, where are the the black characters? (laughs) I mean, this is a good story, but like, where is, where's everything else? So, you know, like the access is is basically just being accessible. And I understand that some parents don't have time to read books. I understand that some parents might not Mm -hmm. even have the money to read books, but that's why libraries are are also important. So libraries are important to get access to books. Mm -hmm. Having schools really impress the importance of bringing books, like book drives, like all Mm -hmm. sorts of things are helpful to just get books into the hands of kids and not discouraging them from it. So Y'all like, remember the book fair that would come to school and then you could like check mark the little scholastic board? Oh, book fairs are expensive. You know, but like that, they generated excitement. It was never like, don't do this. I would sit there and not pay attention to class and be reading a book that I probably, you know, Sweet Valley High or something. But you know, it's like... The Babysitter's Club. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. just, in, you know, I, Maniac McGee's one of my favorite books, and, you know, growing up, just all sorts of things. And because I realized, one, I was exposed to a different world than what I was living. It's like, oh, yeah. that's possible. That's right. what it was. Right. You, they bring what is what you think is impossible and they make it possible. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, you expand 
the horizons of of everybody. I mean, they're doing that now to grown people. Think mm-hmm. about, you know, yep. unfortunately, you know, with Chad Robeson's passing, but think about what Black Panther did. Right. That start. That started as a comic. Right. And, then, you know, I found what my son, who's nine, so he didn't really like to read, but it was because of the things that he had to read. So once I was able to find books in his interest, so like Bigfoot, dinosaurs, uh, volcanoes, it's like he he started to love reading again. And I and I I echo what you're saying, Savannah, that it's important that teachers are people that are responsible and parents ask children what they're interested in and yeah. intentionally look for books about those things because now he can tell me everything about Bigfoot. He's convinced about Bigfoot. I can't tell him. And he's like, but mom, the book was in the nonfiction section. Oh, and I'm like, know. okay, son, okay. But I think it's fiction, but I get it. Okay. And, I appreciate your conviction. So and I am that, the auntie that, says, that gives books out. I'm like, I will be the nerdy auntie and y'all will have to deal. But yeah. I have a nerdy auntie. Yeah. Messages and I appreciate them, so I am passing on the mantle. Y'all get pass on the book. Books and saving bonds. Go ahead, nerdy auntie. Go okay, ahead. Add to that, book. though, y'all. Take your kid to the library to Please. get their own library card. card. Let them get their card. Yeah. And then let him or her peruse the aisles at three or four care if they come home with the biggest fattest book with all the words that they can't read yep you have given them power to mm-hmm. make choices for themselves and yeah. i think you can get a library card like three four five mm-hmm. and yeah. as soon as tyler could get a library card and her thing was i got my card mommy like yep. i'd be like yep. oh, are we going to the library i get she the debit card yeah. <laughs> until she got her card because she didn't want to use my card they're yep. it's empowering for them it to is. make their own choices and to walk up and down those aisles and see what their eye, what catches their eye. And and I, I love it. The book because technology is not always always guaranteed. You right. need to know the basics. You need to know yeah. how to get information. Well, I think yeah. too, what, we, what we started doing. Um, I'm seeing this more and more in neighborhoods. Is the the neighborhood library box? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the little library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, but where you can literally create these spaces for your neighborhood. For some people, their parents are not gonna take them to the library, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but that child may love books. And so if you just keep a stock of whatever you have in your home, um, age appropriate, don't put your, okay, put put stuff in there that any grade level can read. Mm -hmm. But seriously, put put it in there because you never know that you may be the person that sparks that interest for some other um, little child, so. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good suggestion, Ev. Um, Dewana and Savannah, I want to drop a couple data points on you and to our listeners, and I'm just curious to get your reaction to these. And so here, here's the data. 59%, almost 60% of writers are female, making them the more common gender in this occupation. Another point is that 81% of writers in the United States are white, making them the most common race for this occupation. And then Jessamine Ward, who y'all, she is bomb, critically acclaimed novelist, said on Twitter that she had to fight and fight and fight for her first 100,000 advance, despite the fact that she had already won the National Book Award in 2011. So she had to fight for her advance despite 
despite the fact that she had already won a National Book Award. I mean, talk about the bar being like... It's not like she asked for a million dollars. She wasn't asking for a million. So, I mean, what stands out to y'all as Black female writers about the statistics I just shared? Why don't we start with you, Savannah? (laughs) And I see you smiling. Like, that smile, that smirk is like, it's it's real. So what stands out to you about that? Uh, Publishing is white. I mean, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it's white and it primary and it gives privilege to white stories and whiteness. Mm -hmm. And if you Mm -hmm. are writing to a white audience, you will have a better shot at getting better advances, even though advances aren't everything, but they do help. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, the issue with publishing is that they are really playing a numbers game. Mm -hmm. And so they are not interested and to them chasing after pockets of readers because mm. they think that if you are a marginalized author in some way, only your identity group will resonate with that story. Mm. But whiteness is everything, you know, yeah. whiteness is people. Standard, right? And it's like, but no, it's not. Um, yeah. So like we had to learn about whiteness just like everybody else did. And, you know, mm-hmm. white people can learn about stories where they're not the star and the protagonist and maybe even being the antagonist and the villain. Um, so let me ask you this, Savannah, do you think the fact that your writing is interracial, you say you tell interracial stories, do mm-hmm. you think that has helped you crack that uh, USA bestseller list because white folk can see themselves yeah, in your I story? Was, because I was with the box set, it was a whole, it was a whole 20, 20 other authors and we all collectively worked together and we all tapped into our, you know, audiences and we're able to get that. That is not a guarantee. I have been part of other box sets and we did not do nearly what Mm -hmm. we did with this one. I will say that did help. um, But I will also say that there are plenty of black authors who write black romance who are doing very well. I think we just were very blessed with how everything worked out for our project. Um, And I will say that I have noticed that there are people who are writing that now interracial because they think it's more lucrative. Mm -hmm. That's another discussion that we can have at another time. But um, I I do think that if you are privileging white audiences and whiteness, one, and this is the thing, they say, we don't know how to market that. And if they don't know how to market that, they're not going to give you the advance that you are probably due because of your craft mm-hmm. and the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. So that's the, I mean, from a purely business standpoint, if they don't know how to market it, you're not going to get the advances because they need to make that money back. That's the whole point. That's why Michelle Obama could have a huge seven, you know, figure advance because mm-hmm. people know that she's, she's marketable. That's easy. Right. Michelle Obama put her name on it and she, and she clearly, you know, hello, <laughs> like she paid the salaries for so many people with her one book versus, yeah. you know, an unknown African-American author writing about black things. Mm-hmm. That's a harder sell for a Walmart distributor in Des Moines, Iowa. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, so a lot of it, yes, it's racism, it's, but racism is the foundation for nearly everything else that's wrong with the country. So, you know, there's the economics in it. There's the, the ignorance and not necessarily from a mean spirited place. It's just, I don't know. And, and when you're not able to have access to the industry, because a lot of these internships t- to get you in are unpaid, who's going to have an unpaid internship in New York city. Who's from a marginalized community? Who? No one. 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's a basically an echo chamber of just systemic just racism. Ignorant. Yeah. You know, and and they say that they're trying to do better. You know, like Justin Ward should not have had to fight. <laughs> but wow. but see the standard that she had to clear? She yeah. had to be a national, national book, book award twice <laughs> to even get a six-figure deal. Meanwhile, their debut authors nobody has ever heard of getting those advances quite easily. Yeah. That's what we're talking about when we're saying there's a race issue. <laughs> there's a race issue. There's a gender issue. There's just an issue. Publishing mm -hmm. is white, and they need to figure out, like, either admit that you're okay with that or actually make changes to make sure that it's as inclusive as you, as you say you wow. want it to be. Are, are, are we in a position as Black people where we can start to create our own Black, pub, black publishing companies? We have Dewana. that. Dewana. And I, yeah, so she can Savannah, speak to that. doing it. <laughs> I, I'm all for indie publishing. I, mm -hmm. I came into this. I just wanted people to read my stories. I just wanted to connect. And I've had white women connect with the stories that I've written. And they, they're like, when's the next one coming out? And so I early on made a, a conscious decision to ignore um, the traditional publishing route because I felt like they were going to ignore me because mm -hmm. at the time when I really, you know, 10 years ago when I really started thinking about, whoa, maybe I could write my own book, we were, we had this dichotomy of black books coming out. The thug books, or the urban fiction, oh, I everybody's ride or die, or church. Mm -hmm. And there was very little in between and I'm like I'm not that but I'm also not that right. I want to read about some regular people that look like me but that wasn't what the publishing identified as the black market which mm -hmm. I, it also pisses me off because mm -hmm. I'm like we white folks just don't get they get to pick their genre. You don't get tight packs, right? 20, 30 genres to pick from. Yeah. And if we want to get picked up by a traditional publishing house, we've got to make it more street or it. we've got to hit that church. Mm -hmm. I'm not either one. So well, can I just... I right. I don't know if y'all feel the same way. So um, I've written a couple of children's books and the last one being on COVID-19. Um, and the characters are always primarily just black. But I had to have this discussion with um, one of the, a podcaster who was saying, you know, oh, this is a, um, a, a, a black children's book. And I was like, oh, let me, let me take a step back. I was like, this is a children's book. Um, and the character is black, but the default shouldn't be that a children's book is white. And right. so all of a sudden, because there's a black face, it's, this, it's in this other unique category. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm speaking to children and I want black children to know that they are children too. And I want you to know that they are children too. And, I, and it shouldn't come with this asterisk society to say that, oh, this is for minority yes. children. No, it's for your white kid too. It's for your white kid to look at this black kid so that when they get to be 30 years old, that we don't have to explain to them that they are the same. That like they're human. From the very beginning. But I don't know if y'all feel the same way of where you write this beautiful piece and then they, they say, oh, well, this is a... a a book for black people are, are it marginalizes the message of it's not for everyone mm -hmm. and you're like no i'm actually speaking to all y'all yeah it just you know recognize us as being just human us yeah so 
I can only imagine what the worst and the amount of energy it takes to, to write what y'all write, how that can be frustrating. You have to just, I think for me, I just had to block out the noise and just be like, what is, what does my life look like? You know what? There, I, I engage with a myriad of folks, but my core, my core people look like me. And, and then when you get to the first outer ring, they're, they're more minorities that, but they, they don't look like me, but they're still minorities. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the next ring, then it's like my core, I broaden out as opposed to shrinking in. Mm -hmm. And I think white folks just shrink us. They try to shrink us Mm -hmm. and put us into these little, um, easily defined bubbles because then it makes life because then they don't have to challenge their worldview. Yeah. Instead of looking at themselves and looking at all the bubbles they fit in (laughs) all of them. Um, But that's another conversation for another day, but you really just, you have to write what is on your heart. And like Toni Morrison said, write the, Write the book you want to read. Yeah. Worry about yep. when she said white. You know, your problem with racism is not my problem. Mm-hmm. That's your problem. We you need to fix it because it's impacting me. But my as I write, I'm just gonna write what I want. And if you love it, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I don't care yeah. what you look like at this. I point. think it's more that they don't know what to do again when they're not the center of the story right mm-hmm. they they just they blank out they 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 don't know and you so said they blank out, out. <laughs> like, this is not for me but nobody is for you like you are welcome to read this book about black children <laughs> this is not a black book only book that's not what this is I mean, yeah. I mean, you might come up with run up to stuff that you'd never heard of that you didn't know that might make you uncomfortable but it's like well welcome to my world that's what i i, I play russian roulette every time i engage with a piece of media to be yeah. honest mm-hmm. i just do i don't I, i'll be enjoying it and all of a sudden something out of left field happens like oh well, there that is and um what do i do with that <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how do i set that aside and, and worry about that or even worse I could, I might have internalized some things that I don't know. So I'm regurgitating. Wow. I think I'm pretty, you know, woke and, you know, well aware. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's, that's a trigger point that I did not realize I had. And, right. you know, <laughs> so what do I do with that? But, you know, it's, it's, it is a problem that, that folks think whiteness is the definitive and default experience of humanity mm. human and humanness. And it's just like, do you hear yourself? That just to be so blithe with their exclusionary way of looking at the world, and it's not even their fault per se. Because again, we we are all in this bubble, and yeah. we are taught not to critique it. We're taught not to notice, you know, the fissures in the glass. We're taught not to be like, but this doesn't feel right. I mean, kids do. They're like, okay, and then, you know, but your parents say certain things, and you're like, well, my parents wouldn't lie to me, and then if your parents are being reinforced by general society, it's like, well, okay, I guess that's true, and so there's no need to critique it anymore. It's it's a hard thing when you're writing the story, because really what you're doing, you're trying to get to the core of a question, even Mm -hmm. in the children's book. 
You are trying to answer something. You are trying mm-hmm. to provide context for something. And when you're doing that and you are giving a face or giving that question to a person that usually does not get to either ask it or answer it, mm-hmm. that throws a lot of people off. It's like, okay, well, then I have to unpack some things that I didn't know that I was carrying. And even in a children's book, even in a nonfiction book, even in a comic, like all of these things, every, you know, think stories are the way that we make sense of who we are. Yes. And if you mm-hmm. are okay with having a story that features nobody else but people but you, who look like you. Right. That says a lot about you. Well, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, it's like American it's history you. and then Black History Month. Right. right. World like, history. World like, history. Yeah. World history is American history. Yes. And, yes. No, uh, it's slavery. Like, it's like, well, hold on now. Let's, let's come on. No, let's not do that. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing day when we realize that minorities are actually the global majority oh. and things start to level out. And I know we could talk about books all day because I am so intrigued by what you guys have shared and how you're right, Savannah, the stories that you read do help you figure out who you are. And so it's important that we expose our kids to more stories so that, and expose adults to more stories so that they can see exactly who they are and who they can be, right? So we're going to transition into our last segment of our podcast, Be Bothered. Now, this is where we give our listeners advice about the B word that we just unpacked. And today it was books. So, all right, BizDoc team, tell the people ways in which you can incorporate more books, reading stories into your own lives. Kelly, let's start with you. All right, y'all. Um, you know, As I said at the start of this, y'all know I love a good book club. Um, it's a way in which I've been able to build community around something that I love. I am in a book club with Dewana called Book Talk Wine. We, we tend to lean a little heavy on the wine sometimes, but we still get to them books. But I love a good book club. And this is going to age me, put me kind of firmly in that middle age camp. But I love Oprah's book club recommendations. Like her really? top 10 list. Her top 10 list is so good i love it so for everybody out there check out oprah her book recommendations are bomb all right and what about you well i agree i don't anybody got a problem with oprah you got a problem with me um because she does not go wrong but also i I encourage people to do like duana and and do like you know the authors are on our our stage says create your own book so with our children, one of the things I, I like to do with my nieces and nephews is I will ask them to tell me a story and write it down for them. And um, it might sound cheesy, but my little niece, the four-year-old niece, Olivia Marie, we call her Mook Mook, she is the most amazing little kid um, that I've, I love all my nieces and nephews, but she's just so funny to me. And so I'll get her to just going, like, oh, yeah, and what happened, and what did they do, and what's the context of that, and, and using words that, that helps her to shape how books are literally written, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and then literally just jot it down, package it up, print it out, and give mm-hmm. it to them and say, you, this is the book that you created. Have them sign their little name. Um, but I think that it, it, it makes people understand that you can be an author. Um, when you don't see one, you think of, of people as being these mystical people, like, oh, that's an astronaut. Like, who are they? Let them be one. So, um, so 
I, I think encouraging kids in that way, but also like I say, creating your neighborhood library, just, you can put a box outside. Some people have these cute little things that look like birdhouses that you pack um, books into that allows kids to do that. And then intent, be intentional. Buy these kids books for their birthdays, for Christmas, for Easter. Um, there's never a wrong time to give a book. Yeah. So I would say my, it wasn't until last year that I downloaded Audible because I was very uh, rigid about my idea of what reading meant. And that meant that I bought a book. I highlighted in the book. I wrote notes in the book. I got to touch the book. Tell the book You got to, yep. And you cannot tell me that you read a book because you listened to it got, in the car. Me, that didn't count out? to me. You I was judgmental. It doesn't, you didn't read the book though. You didn't read it, but you right. know the book. Right. Did and I'm like, that doesn't count. Do it doesn't count. Do y'all destroy the book like this? Do you earmark? Do you ear tag? No, what? Thank you. I do. I love it. The first thing when I get a new book, I want to crack the spine. I want to crack the spine and just. No, I need yeah, my. I love a crack spine. I got tears in books. Not probably on the book. No man. Crack it open. Yeah, I am in an intimate it. relationship with my book. Your book is bad. My energy in it. I got. Yes. I'm carrying you buy one it. That is and then you buy one that you actually. Yeah. Y'all cannot read my physical books. <laughs> I will shoot you an ebook. <laughs> Y'all, I had a coworker um let me she sent me a book and she was like, I want you to read this so we can talk about it. Y'all I had to go buy that woman a new book because I said I can't give this back to her oh, like this. No, you didn't. This is officially mine. This is now mine. But I downloaded Audible last year and honestly I still buy the book. But it does give me an opportunity to read, quote, unquote, so many more books. So now I listen. And when I hear something that I want, I find it on a page. I can highlight it, note it. But I feel like I now have access to so many more books. I have the opportunity to learn and read so much more, even though I still feel like a fraud a little bit. So I want to plug Libro FM because that um, supports independent bookstores. Can you say uh, that, that again? Libro FM, L-I-B-R-O dot yeah. F-M, that oh. supports um, local book, or independent bookstores like Turning Page Bookshop up in Goose Creek yeah. um, with, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name, but she's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> huh? Ladies? Lindsay Miller. Ooh, yeah. Lindsay Miller. Didn't mean to cut Valencia. you on up. Yes, Valencia. Yes. Belinda. I'm sorry, Belinda. Belinda, don't Belinda. Belinda. Belinda Miller. Belinda. Miller. Yes. Belinda. We'll Ladies, before out. we wrap up, tell the people, tell the listeners where they can find you online. Savannah, where can they find you online and find your work? I am online. SJFBooks.com is my uh, website. And then I'm SJF Books on Twitter, SJF Books on Instagram. And then you can find me through Facebook, <laughs> through those two things. I'm Savannah J. Farris, an author on Facebook. But those what are about you? Yeah. I am Girl Media. Dot com on the interwebs, um, DM Brockington on Amazon and um, Southern Girl Media on Instagram and Facebook. Southern and then Girl if you Media. Want some foolishness? Me and my regular life. DJ does midlife. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you to you both for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. And I got to say, I have heard more SAT words in this conversation than I think I have in any of our B Word Unpacked. We talked about myriad and mythical and context setting and all kinds of stuff. So I am loving it. Um, that little school you went to up in Boston, Savannah, did you good? It did you good. So. <laughs> 
Ladies, um, appreciate you again. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on social media, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Tell us what you thought about today's episode in our comment section below. And if there's a B word that you want us to unpack, please let us know. All right, BPAC, until the next time, stay encouraged, stay safe, practice self-care, and let's keep unpacking. unpacking. Take care. Thank you for unpacking another B Word with Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Follow the B Word on Instagram at the B Word Unpacked and follow Goodstock Consulting on Facebook and YouTube. Learn more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.